Before we get started, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. In the words of Keeley Companies CEO, Rusty Keeley, when it comes down to it, there are two things that make Keeley Companies incredible, people and process. The strategic growth model called the Keeley Way ensures that Keeley achieves results on purpose, including five-year visions, scorecards, meaningful action plans. The Keeley Way allows Keeleyans to turn dreams into reality and drives goals to realize visions. Because of this relentless focus on people and culture, Keeley Companies has experienced explosive growth that shows no signs of slowing down. Learn more at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. We at Live Inspired have had the opportunity of interviewing now. Give me the drum roll, please. That's right. 300 individuals from around not only St. Louis, not only the Midwest, not only the United States, but around the world. 300 best-selling authors, 300 business leaders, creatives, individuals who are making a difference in their backyard or around the entire world. In almost every scenario, the individual that I've interviewed has an incredible story. One that as I read about it or learn about it, or even as you guys are listening right now to my voice, as you listen to their story in real time, I'm floored and absolutely amazed that this individual has overcome what they have overcome. All of that to say this, when you hear the story of our guest today, you have to know this about John O'Leary. I have never interviewed an individual who I've been more inspired by or more humbled by or more blown away by the fact that this person has endured what they have gone through. And not only that, because getting through things is one thing. I think most of us try to survive. The individual today is exhibit A of thriving through tragedy, utilizing a little bit of faith, a little bit of grit, leveraging the relationships of those around him to get through the kinds of difficulties that I think most of us can't fathom. And my friends, uh, this gentleman, one more thing I'll say is uh, while I was waiting for him to get the microphone set up, my coworker sent me a video and she said, try to watch this without crying. So you know, I'm up for the challenge. So I'm watching this video of our guest today getting married and uh, yeah, I'm crying. I'm crying while I'm watching the video. So he's got a terrific story. He's got a beautiful wife, a beautiful life and an amazing story. So here's my inv invitation for you today, my friends. Buckle up, grab a big cup of water, tea, coffee, whatever you wanna be drinking on, that's fine. Grab a journal, grab a pen, grab an open heart, and get ready to take some notes as I introduce you to a guy that I look up to, and you will too. His name is Austin Hatch. Austin, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you having me. It's an honor and privilege to be with you, and I look forward to hopefully providing the you and the listeners with something about you that, that, that they can take with them in their own life. Well, right, right now they're like, man, Austin Hatch and the story, John, I mean, you're trumping this guy up like he's the most remarkable person in the world. And I recognize as a guest, Austin, that's a lot of weight for you to imagine carrying forward. But knowing your story the way I do, part of the beauty of your story is it's not only about Austin Hatch and all you've overcome, 
it's about the community that, that guided you through the tragedy. For sure, for sure. You know, the, the old saying goes, it takes a village, right? And I think, you know, for you and I both have obviously experienced different forms of, of adversity, but you know, everyone, everyone on this, who's listening to this podcast right now is dealing with a challenge. Um, and no one is going to be able to overcome it by themselves. I couldn't have overcome what I was unfortunately forced to you know, deal with. I couldn't have done that by myself. It took a village, it took a team, it took the community that where I'm from, Fort Wayne, Indiana, my family, my, my extended family, my friends, and um, we can't ever be afraid to, to let people help us. You know, I think you know, for me, there was a little bit of a time when, you know, people would, would offer to help me with anything. And, you know, you kind of want to say, oh, no, I got this. Like, I'm good. And it's tempting to say that, right? Because you feel like you don't want to inconvenience the people by making them help you. But if they're offering to help you, like, we'd be, we'd be stupid not to let, let them help us, right? right. So I think, you know, we just got to let, let people who want to who wanna help us overcome our obstacles, I think it's, we'd, we'd be stupid not to. Well, you mentioned Fort Wayne. I'm from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And one of the, the other things you and I share was an idyllic childhood. Mm-hmm. We, we just had terrific parents, wonderful siblings, great family, great upbringing. Uh, our listeners have heard the John O'Leary story today. They get to hear the Austin story. So Austin, take us back to your childhood. Talk about mom and dad and, and your siblings. Yeah, well, I was, so as you mentioned, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I had an idyllic childhood. I mean, the kind of childhood that I feel like a lot of kids would dream of, um, you know, playing, going to school, playing sports and playing, run, running around, getting, I had a lot of, a lot of uh, skin knees, um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of blood. I actually told my grandpa something when I was young. I told my grandpa, I said, grandpa, I'm in pain every day. <laughs> and that's the sign. Of, that's the sign of living the right way when you're a kid, right? You know, um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was amazing. And went to school with, with a, a great, uh, one of my best friends now, obviously, just from just down the street from me, grew up just down the street, went to school together. Um, and a lot of my other friends from, I went to school with them for, you know, 15 years. Um, and yeah, they become like brothers to me, especially through all that I've been through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talk so. About, talk about your mom. Yeah, so my mom was the kind of a woman, I'm sure people on the call know this, I'm sure you do as well, know these kind of people. They're the life of the party everywhere they go. And everyone wants to be their best friend, right? And that, that was the kind of lady my mom was. And she was just incredible. Um, and I mean, she and my dad, she had her hands full with me. Um, but, but you know what? Um, she, was, she was up for the challenge. And um, yeah, it was an amazing shout out. My little brother, Ian. Um, so I was pretty big always. I was, I was born, I was two feet. I was, I was 24 inches long when I was born. So I was pretty big. <laughs> and um, my my brother, my little brother Ian was a little smaller than me. I, I kind of picked on him a little bit, but you know, it was like a brotherly love. Um, and he was he was a he was a great guy. And I you know I I just can't help but think who they'd be today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tragically. But and then my older sister Lindsay was she was a ballerina, um, loved to dance. She was in the Nutcracker, a big a big you know be, uh, performance every year. It was a big deal in Fort Wayne where we were from. Um, and she was just so full of life, had such a bright future ahead of her. Um, but then, you know, tragically on September 1st, 2003, um, my family and I were flying, flying home and, um, the airplane tragically crashed and, um, claimed the lives of my mom, my older sister, Lindsay and younger brother, Ian. And, you know, it was incomprehensible the loss, you know, it's hard to, hard to really put it in perspective. I'm thankful that there's no real good way to put it in perspective. Um, But it, you know, it was just, it was unimaginable. And when I was only eight years old, I lost my mom and siblings, right? And my dad lost his wife of, you know, they were married 
17 years at that time had been together for 25. Um, they, you know, they met, they met each other sophomore year of high school and they were homecoming king and homecoming queen their senior year. And, you know, just like, and, you know, then after being together that long, I mean, I'm, I've been married, my wife and I have been married two years, right? And it's like, I can't imagine, let alone what it would be like after another 15 and then losing and kids on top of that. But, um, you know, my dad pressed on and found a way to keep moving forward and keep living his life. We lived in their honor. We, we, that was our, our goal was to honor them every single day by how we lived our life, how we loved each other and how we, you know, persevered. You can't, like, I'm not a big fan of, you know, just pushing through and, for, and you can't forget yeah. about things. They're, they're always with us, but, you know, we just find a way to keep moving forward and um, just pressed on. So. Austin, I'm, I'm curious, you're eight years old and, and you talk about losing your two siblings and losing your mom tragically. And September 1, 2003, this date that changes the arc of your life, a day that you'll never forget and you'll never get over. You don't ever get over a tragedy like what you've endured. And then in the next breath, you're like, and yeah, my dad, I mean, he just showed such courage. And he and my mom, they've been together for all those years. And right immediately, you start diverting the, the attention and really the grief away from your story and away from this little boy. Talk, talk about an eight-year-old little guy, man. You're, you're, your mom's gone and your siblings are gone. And now you got to try to figure out how to make sense of this new life with your dad. What are the things that are getting you through those those difficult days? Yeah, I think a really important thing when when overcoming any obstacle, I think it's very important to stay busy and very important to not allow yourself to be solely consumed by the one tragic event or tragic loss that you experience. And that doesn't diminish the loss by any means. But I think it's important to keep living in the midst of it and you know, keep moving forward. And um, yeah, so, you know, it was obviously extremely tough, but you know, my dad, we were like, you know, he was obviously, he was my dad, but we were almost like, even before the crash, but especially afterwards, we almost became like brothers. Um, I mean, we went, we went to father-son basketball camp together every year and stayed, stayed in the dorms, you know, for a week and um, right. And they ate in the cafeteria and did that, did drills together. And I mean, it was like, I mean, it was, a, he was a great athlete back in high school and um, but yeah, you know, just my dad, I, you know, I wouldn't have, couldn't have done it without him. And, and, and in addition, all the other people in our circle, our extended family, um, who stepped up and helped us through it. Cause you know, I can't, like I said before, I can't imagine what it was like for my dad. Um, mm. but I think, I think he, I think he, he pushed on and kept moving forward. He did, he did that for me. A lot of it. So. You mentioned dad was in the dorms with me. Dad was at the basketball camps with me. Dad was an athlete with me which is also hinting to the fact that you are an athlete, you are a basketball player. Uh, how important to you was basketball during those days of recovery and then moving forward into your life? Yeah, I mean, so important. Kind of how I mentioned again, you know, the importance of staying busy. Basketball was my, was my thing. Obviously, I had to study hard too. I went to a really good school that required, you know, put a lot of time in the classroom. Um, but, you know, we also, we also played hard, you know. Hmm. Go to, you know, go practice, workouts, lifting weights, you know, as I got older and stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, that was the thing. That was what I did. And I was working to be the best basketball player that I could be. And, fortunately, I think we'll talk about this more in a few minutes. But, unfortunately, eventually the work started to pay off a little bit. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I, lo I love the journey. And that's something my dad always told me. And something I search hard to remember to this day. He always, I would get kind of caught up and just wanted to get there, right? Just get to that college, get like get to where I wanted to go. But he would just say, awesome, and just enjoy the journey. 
enjoy the journey. I think, I think that's a great life motto too. Cause like we all have goals, right? I'm sure you have goals. I have goals, you know, for our families, for our businesses, but it's like, as much as we can, I think it's really important to enjoy every step. Well, you, you apparently enjoyed every step after a, a, a tragic ev- event as an eight-year-old boy. You become even tighter with your father. You fall in love with life and fall in love with basketball. And not only do you fall in love with something, you become extraordinarily gifted at it. It's still quite a dream, though, Austin, for a kid out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, to imagine ever playing ball at Michigan. Yeah, what what yeah. was it about Michigan that, that drew your heart toward, uh, toward Michigan? Well, so Michigan's been in my family for years. I think I went to my, so I was born in October of 94, October 18th. I think I went to my first football game either the following fall or maybe that, maybe that fall. Right? <laughs> my, my, my mom went to Michigan and graduated in 1987. My dad did some research at Michigan before we went to medical school at Wake Forest. My, both my grandpas went to Michigan. So it's, we had season tickets growing up for, like we would go to a couple games every year. So that was our thing. Michigan, it's been, it's like, you know, you know, like those, um, you know, like my, my dad didn't play on the basketball team at Michigan, but it was, right. it was almost like going to a place that like my dad went or something like that. Like that's yeah. how, that's how big it was for us. So it was amazing. Well, and we, we have listeners from 70 countries and 50 states. And uh, I would imagine a few of them may not be familiar with Michigan's basketball program, but needless to say, it's world-class. It's a world-class program. When do you get extended a scholarship to go to Michigan? After my, my sophomore year of high school um, on June 15th, 2011, I finished my sophomore year. Um, coach saw potential in me, gave me an offer on June 15, 2011, and I accepted right then and there on the spot. And it was a dream come true, a dream come true. So I'm just, I'm so grateful, so grateful. I've heard you say in the past on another interview that you've had two bad days in your life. You've had a lot of hard days, but you've had two hard days in your life. Man, one of them was September 1, 2003, and the next really hard day is right after you signed that scholarship, that, that, that decision to attend this university that you've been pursuing your entire life. So I'm going to let you take our listeners into the second hard day, as you described it, in, in your life. Yeah, well, so um, as I mentioned, so I committed June 15th, 2011. Nine days later, we were flying again um, up to northern Michigan, actually. Um, and unfortunately, um, there was my dad and my second mom. I never use the term stepmom. Um, my dad, my second mom, and I were flying. And, you know, that unfortunately, as we were preparing to land, the aircraft, you know, tragically crashed. And um, claimed the lives of my dad and second mom. Um, and I probably should have died. I, I definitely should have. Well, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have if I'm still here, but if you look at all the injuries that I had, you know, traumatic brain injury, punctured lungs, broken ribs, broken clavicles, fractured femur, all, all kinds of stuff, right? And I um, was in a coma for about two months, maybe nine weeks after that. Um, and then, you know, fortunate enough to come out of it. You know, so brain injuries are level on a a scale of severity from one to seven, seven being the worst. And one, two, and levels one, two, and three have a pretty good chance of returning to some sense of, no, of normalcy after the, after the brain injury. Um, four, levels four, five, six, and seven have decreasingly smaller chances. And uh, my, my level seven was one of the worst level sevens that they've ever seen that survived the night, right? Mm. And I, I, I stand before you today. Now, look, I still got some work to do. I, I'm still getting better. I'm still maybe not recovering. I'm just still trying to get better every day. Um, 
and yeah, but I'm just, I'm so blessed to, to have made that, made a great recovery, had incredible doctors, nurses, family, friends, therapists, you know, people across the country praying for me that I'll never meet, that I'll never even know. As far as I'm concerned, those people were on our team too, right? And because mm-hmm. it, it took a village, it took everyone. I mean, people coming, so I was, I, I was in uh, the Munson Medical Center, I was in a coma, I was in a coma up there for the first six weeks or seven weeks. I'm in Traverse City, Michigan. And then I was airlifted to the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago in, um, in maybe you know late August, mid, mid, mid-August. And I came out of that coma late August. And it was kind of like, um, you know, the, the, for the first few weeks when I was sort of like waking up, so to speak, yeah. like the, the lights were on, so to speak, but nobody was home. Like I was there, but I wasn't. Um, Do you remember those days or people telling you about the secondhand? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I the first, I mean, I, I remember being at the RIC in Chicago, and I remember my 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 recovery there, my therapist, the doctors, and but I think my first memories were maybe in in September. Um, so, but yeah, it was uh, you know, it was, it was I'm so blessed to have come out of that, and you know, I believe that's due to the power of God, nothing else, and you know, I just I, I I'm I really I mean I can't. It's nothing I did. I mean, I, I, you know, to get, not to fast forward nine years, but to have made a good comeback and, you know, yes, I, I worked pretty hard at it, but it, like, it was so much more than me. I mean, I can't take credit for that much of it, so. So, man, I, frequently when people hear my story, they think it's a story about physical overcoming. If you can get burned and survive and go through the physical therapy, clearly you're, you're tough. That's the, the take, and yet, what I know, and I think every, anybody who's ever been through anything difficult knows, the emotional scars are far more difficult to overcome than anything we'll ever face physically. And so although what you faced physically is unimaginable, the, the, the brain injury, the, the, the injuries to your body, it's unbelievable what you went through. The fact that you were involved in two plane crashes, the fact that you lost your mother and two siblings in the first, and the fact that in the second, eight years later, you're still a kid, man. You're not even really a man yet. Still as a child, you lose your father. You refer to him as one of your best friends and a brother. You lose this person and you lose your second mom. Take us down the the pathway of beginning to rebuild a life after you lose everything again. Well, I think to, to start out, um, maybe this is, maybe I should say this after I talk about my journey into recovery more, but um, I quickly realized that feeling sorry for myself, feeling I didn't, well, I didn't deserve, I don't feel like I deserved it. I don't feel like anyone deserves anything that they go through. You didn't deserve what happened to you. No one in the world deserves what they're going through, um, but it's part of life. And I quickly realized that dwelling on those events that I couldn't control, that wasn't going to help me get better. That wasn't going to help me overcome it. And so I quickly shifted my focus from what happened to me to what am I going to do about it, right? Because I think, I, I think that's a decision we should all make. Um, but yeah, so I, I just, I, I had an incredible, incredible support system. I had people stepping up and, and from all, every, every angle you look at it, whether it was, a fan, it was people I, I, I met just once, you know, or maybe it was someone I walked past in, in, the, in, in the city of Portland in my hometown that recognized me just saying hi Austin thinking of you praying for you and your family like every every little thing helped right and it's just I'm so grateful for you know the all the efforts and contributions that everyone put in and obviously you know my family sacrificed put and put their life on hold with my friends you know and and you know my, my sister who I lived with after the second action she had she had a young daughter at the time 
Um, and then, and then when I was living with her and right. I mean, cause like I, I, you know, my wife and I don't know how many, don't have any children yet, but taking someone into your home when you have one newborn of your own, that's a big responsibility. And so like, I can't speak enough to like, just how grateful I am for, for her, for my sister Maria, just being so well, so willing to, you know, do, do that for me. And, um, yeah, you know, but at the end of the day, I guess that's what family does. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I had so my immediate family, my, my, my sister Maria, um, my relatives from all over the country, um, from all sides of my, my dad's side, my mom's side. And yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I look at it, John. So what happened to you was probably about the, you know, the worst case scenario of what could have happened to you when you're so young, right? What happened to me was the worst case scenario. But I feel, I can't speak for you, but I feel like for me, I've had about the best case scenario of the worst case scenario. Like given, given the fact that terrible stuff happened, I can't change that. I don't feel like my life could be any better now than it, than it is. And I don't feel like my recovery could have been any better. I'm sure there were things I could have done a little differently that would help me get better. And maybe I could have, you know, got, we could have got back to being a good athlete again. But I feel like um, overall things have worked out for us about as well as they possibly could have. So I'm going to stay on the emotional side just for a moment longer. I have had friends who have lost jobs who have never been the same, even after getting employed again and, and uh, returning to financial freedom again. I've had friends who've lost a spouse or a parent or a child who are never the same again. They just are permanently different. And I haven't gone through that experience. So I, I can't imagine what it will be like when I go through an experience similar to this. I'm, I'm not here to, to judge them, but I'm curious. For a young man, that's you, who lost a mother, lost two siblings, then lost a father and his second mother in two tragic plane accidents, and you were in both of these accidents, you somehow survived both of them. How were you different afterwards? How, how did it just change you? Not, not physically, but how did it change your heart? How did it change your spirit? How did it change your personality? Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, maybe how it changed my personality is not for me to answer. Maybe that's for, for other people around me to answer. How am I different? Um, but I, I like to think I'm relatively similar. I'm not the same. You know, how can you be the same after going through something like that? But I think not that maybe you call this the silver lining, not that there is a silver lining of those two terrible things that happened in my life. But I just, look, I mean, I think I have a greater appreciation for things now the little things or the big things, because I realize how quickly stuff can happen. Things I realize how quickly things can be taken from me. Right. And like never take a day for, with my wife for granted. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, the, the things that I would do, the thing, the things that I would do to be able to, you know, see my family again, just for a day. Yeah. Right. And I know that's kind of a morbid example, but like, it's like, man, my wife, it's like, man, I get to wake up in a, in a, you know, for whatever you believe in things that there's a lot of challenging things going on in our country from a, you know, just life, life is tough right now with COVID and politics and everything else. But it's like, at the end of the day, there's more good than bad. And it's like, I hope, you know, my life, I, I, I had some terrible stuff happen. Two bad days in my life. Like I told coach Beeline, terrible stuff, a lot of tough days after those, but two really bad days. How can I, I would be stupid to let two terrible days outshine all the other great days. Right. Mm -hmm there if if we look for things to be grateful for we'll find them and maybe maybe it's the grat that maybe those feelings of gratitude are not going to come from the sources that we think of so according to an mit statistician named arnold bennett is his name i believe he, he studies air, air, airplane crashes why they happen how they happen now so that, that they can be prevented in, in the future 
and he calculated that the odds of surviving a plane crash with at least one fatality is one in 3.4 million. Yes. One in 3.4 million. So that's pretty slim, right? I, tra I, I tragically, but fortunately, survived two of those. So one in 3.4 million is the odds of surviving one. One in 3.4 million is the odds of surviving another one. So the odds of surviving both of those, one in 3.4 million times one in 3.4 million is one in 11 quadrillion, 560 trillion. <laughs> I, think, I think, I don't know what the, what the exact math is, but I want to say that's, that's, a, that, that's like, you know, close to 200,000 times the world population, that number on the denominator. So it's like, if you look at that from a statistics standpoint, I, I was told there'd be no math during this podcast, okay? My people tune in because we do not do math here. You got to knock this off. You Michigan people got to knock this off. Well, 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 hey, you know what? I got, I, I got to, you know, for any of my professors that are listening to this, I got to make them proud. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but, but seriously, you hear that number and it's like, how can you not, I, I'm not going to stand here and say to everyone, you should believe what, believe what I believe, but how can you not be grateful for the life that you have if you still have life after experiencing something like I do? So. Hmm. So in similar math, and your math is even more exponential than mine, but the, the, the mere likelihood of you even being born, according to scientists, is less than one in 400 trillion. So if you just look at what your mother and father, the, the, the physical goods they bring to the table, just the two of them coming together biologically at the right moment, yeah. one in 400 trillion is the chance of you having life. And not only you, Austin, but John O'Leary and every one of the listeners today. And so the fact that we go around yawning at our life or angry that the cell phone ran out of batteries or the screen broke or furious that the candidate who was elected into office whenever this thing plays got elected and ours lost, I think we play small and I think we miss out on the miracles of our life. And I'm so blown away that you've weathered what you've weathered, endured what you've endured, and you're able to see, yes, the tragedy, but also the redemption, also the silver lining of a very dark cloud. So I appreciate you sharing the math with us. We need the reminder. You had to get through that emotionally. You also had a long journey ahead physically. So although you were in coma for several months and although you woke up really beginning to see more clearly in September, physically, you seemed like you were never gonna be the same kid again, ever. And what happens most frequently in sports is we turn our back almost immediately on the athletes that once were the studs and the stallion. Once they're no longer good to us, we bring them out to pastor. That's not what your coach does for Michigan. Would, would you share the story of your coach and his belief in you? Yeah, well, you know, Coach John Behind is one of the greatest men I've ever had the privilege of knowing. And, you know, what he did for me, how he, he, you know, the, John, all the headlines that you saw in the newspaper and on ESPN.com, John Beeline follows through on his offer to a player that can't really play. Like, what a great headline, right? That's a cool story because it's like, you know, there are a lot of, I mean, you know, and it's, it's maybe I'm not in a place to say this, but there are a lot of, a lot of recruits who get injured and then I would have play and they lose their scholarship. That yeah. happens. That happens, right? And it could have happened with me. But Coach Beeline, like just the integrity, the character, the, I mean, just, just unmatched. And so I was saying all, all those articles, the headlines on ESPN.com said that, you know, John Beeline follows through on the scholarship offer to Austin Hatch, who can't play anymore because of his injuries. That's what the articles said, but they didn't, but the articles didn't, they weren't there every day. They didn't see everything he did for me every day, right? They, they, they saw what he did honor my scholarship, which was really cool, but they didn't see how he did it. And I think what we do is never as important as how we do it. And I, I mean, just the fact that you know, he included me in everything. He gave me a role 
let me know that my role mattered, that it was important. And I'm not going to stand here and say that I had as big of a role as my teammates like Mo Wagner and Karis LeVert and Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson was starting for the Miami Heat who, who lost in the NBA Finals. I didn't have as big of a, I didn't have the same role as them, obviously, and not as big of a role because I didn't I, – I scored one point in four years, John, one point. <laughs> and, I mean, he included me in everything. It made me feel like I was a part of the family, part of the team, that I mattered. And, yeah, just, just one of the greatest men I've ever had the privilege of knowing. And I'm so blessed to have had the opportunity to spend four years with him. And I – you know, you know that everything – I believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason, um, for some reason, whether or not – a lot of the, that reason, we, none of us will ever know, or at least not for a while. But I don't think it was an accident that I committed to a program led by a man like John Beeline nine days before my life tragically changed for the worse again. So – well, you, it, it brought you toward Michigan. It brought you to that one point, which was probably the most celebrated point for the University of Michigan the entire four years you were there. I mean, it, it, just from a sports standpoint, it's one of the most beautiful stories out there. So th that alone, it, it, it carries its own thing forward in that regard. But one of the more beautiful things that came out of your story is pol political science. You get to find yourself in a classroom with an empty seat next to you and some brunette walks in a little bit late and uh, you flagged her down. I think your name was Abby. Yeah. Uh, take me back to that day and, uh, and you showing this girl you'd not met that there's a seat open next to you. Yeah, well, I, um, so the class was, it was a Tuesday, Thursday lecture. Um, and I don't want to be stereotypical here, but I think, you know, for a lot of, you know, college sophomore girls at 8.30 a.m. classes, a little on the early side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you get, you get out of bed, get up, do your hair and everything and get ready to go to class. And she happened to be, you know, I'll be nice. She was, you know, 15 minutes late, which is fine. And, um, you know, you know, um, one of the coach, coach, coach always talked about how early is on time on time is late. Right. And at, at, um, at Michigan, they have this thing called Michigan time, which, so if a class starts at eight 30, it really starts at 8.40 to give people an extra 10 minutes because they know a lot of people run late, so that was a good thing. Um, but she walked in about 8.45, so after the Michigan, the Michigan time window, um, and was looking for a seat. And, you know, I was on the basketball team. I was taught to be a good teammate. Like, you, you do what your teammates need. If, you, if a teammate needs help, you help them, right? And it's like she was looking for a seat. I, I, I knew who she was because she, she, she was a really good volleyball player at Michigan. She was an All-American. And um, so I, I, I knew of her. I don't, I don't think we, ever, we had ever met. Um, um, she was looking for a seat and like she was like kind of you know a little frantic because because the she walked right past the professor and the professor kind of looked at her like are you serious you're gonna interrupt class right now um but yeah so I flagged her down she came and sat next to me and uh, she was Abby Cole then and you know five and a half years later she's Abby Hatch now so your wedding video and this is the first time you and I are physically meeting. I've, I've listened to your podcast. I've read your story. I feel like I know you as a friend and, and I'm amazed by what you overcome. But maybe more than anything, the fact that I'm watching your wedding video today and crying while I'm watching her walk down the aisle and you two hold and you two read the vows that you wrote to one another. And so much of it is, I think the part that was most touching to me was one of her best friends was saying, uh, she shared the story that you were now on campus. And Abby was challenging her friends to pray for this boy because he lost his mom. Then he lost his mom and dad in a second accident, lost his siblings, was physically in pain. And Abby was just inviting her friends to pray for this kid. 
little did they know that this kid, this freshman, was eventually going to be the one that she was going to marry five years later. It's, it's one of the most remarkable life-giving circles I've ever heard. You know, it's amazing. You know, it's one of those, I'd like to think it's kind of one of the feel-good stories, right? And so, um, so I actually listen to this. So Abby's dad follows Michigan sports recruiting. Like he's big, he's into, he should be on the, on the football coaching staff. He keeps up with all the football recruits and basketball recruits and, um, you know, follows them very closely. And whenever we get, we get a big commitment, he, he's the first one to tell us about it. Um, and so when I committed, he told Abby, he said, hey, we, we just got this kid from Fort Wayne, Indiana who committed to play basketball. He's going to be, I think he's going to be really good and help Michigan win. Um, and then nine days later, Abby's dad went down to her room or her parents both went down to her room and were like, hey, do you remember that kid that, that dad showed you who had just committed to play at Michigan? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I remember. And her, her parents thought, well, he was just in a plane crash and he might not survive the night. We just need to pray for him and his family. I mean, like, that's the good stuff right there. And then I, I knew who she was when, when, I fly, when I was flagging her down in class. I, I, like, I knew who she was. She was a pretty big deal on campus. I th- and so and I think she recognized me because of that story, right? And it's just incredible that, I mean, God brought us together, you know, through all, everything that we've both been through. Um, yeah. Especially with the tragedies that I've been through. It's like, you know, I, I'm reminded of um, James, James 1.12, I believe it is. Um, so it says in James 1, 2, and 3, consider pure joy and everybody's trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's a big one. Love that verse. A few verses later in James 1, 12, it says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. Mm. It's like, how blessed am I? I'm like, I hope my life is a living, is kind of an example of that because it's like we, we were fortunate enough with, with the contributions of many, many people and um, doctors, nurses, therapists, family, friends, people across the country praying for me that I'll never meet, that I'll never know. Those people helped us persevere too. And I look at my life now with I me, mean, how can, I couldn't be more blessed. I couldn't be more blessed. And that doesn't diminish what I've been through and what I've lost, but it's just an acknowledgement that even when life is tough, God is still good. Austin, you, you, you speak like a 59-year-old pastor, and you're a, an early 20-year-old man who just got married two years ago. When you look ahead at your life, and your wife and you look ahead at your life, what, what are your dreams? What do you hope to do together? Well, we, you know, whenever we're blessed with the family, I can't wait to be a, be a dad and, you know, be on the other side of that deal. Because like with me, like my dad, my dad was like everything to me, right? We were the, we were the he would have been, he probably, he would have been the best man in, in our wedding for sure. Right. And, you know, like we would, you know, go, we would play one-on-one in the driveway every night after dinner and talk trash. Cause he was a really good athlete and he, and he, yeah. he, didn't, let, he didn't let me beat him until I started to beat him like, <laughs> like, like, like freshman year of high school. And cause like he, he wasn't gonna let me win. And, but yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. I miss my dad so much, but I, I can't wait to, you know, not that, um, you know, being a father myself someday and, and having that relationship will fill the void, but it'll just give me an idea of like, just how special our relationship was with my dad. And I, I just can't wait to be on the other side of that with our sons and daughters as well. Um, you know, hopefully we're blessed with children. Um, but yeah, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we're... Austin, I, I hear so much joy in your voice. And, and I would imagine there are nights though, where the light flips off and the phone's not on and you have that that silence and that pain and the gray and the, and the anger. 
I had a friend in college, one of my best friends. He is as filled of life as anybody I've ever met, anybody, anywhere. And he was involved in a drinking and driving accident, single car accident and dies. And for the most part, I just love him. But there are days in particular near the anniversary of his death where I'm just mad. I'm just mad at him. Like, why would you do that? And I, you know, so I'm just curious, are there days where you're like, dad, gosh, why didn't we drive, man? Why, why didn't we take off the following day? Why, why, why didn't we do this or that with a million other things? Are there ever days where you're just furious at your dad? Not really, just because it's like, I understand that we're human, we make mistakes. Unfortunately, I had to deal with some extremely costly mistakes, but yeah, we're human. And just because those things happen, the accidents happen, I'm mad that they happen. I'm not mad at my dad. It would be understandable for me to say that I am. I don't ignore the reality of how significant those two events have changed the course of my life forever. I'm also quick to, rem to remind myself how blessed am I to have had what I did for the time that I did because out of the you know seven or eight billion people there are in the world, I think I had about as good of a childhood as anyone in the country, anyone in the world. And that's not an area, I'm just, just like, how blessed am I? How blessed am I? I've found, John, maybe you found this too, our positivity in any circumstance, I believe our positivity is a competitive advantage, whether that's business. Well, your coach held your scholarship. I, I candidly, man, I think the reason you made the final four and played for the championship game is in no small part because of one of the teammates on that bench named Austin Hatch. You may have scored one point over four years, but you taught a bunch of kids what resiliency and grit look like in action. And you need that in life. And so you do have a competitive advantage, Austin. Well, you, you know, I don't know how big of a role I played. And Coach Bion actually posted something on social media a few weeks ago. Big Ten Network posted something about the free throw that I made at Michigan. You know, said one of the great moments in Michigan history in recent years. And Coach Beeline said, one of the best days of my life for anyone who did not get to see Austin play in high school. He was terrific. I thought he was going to be a three or four year starter at Michigan, but he actually gave us more than that with his attitude every day. He was a huge part of our success. I just say that to mean like, look, if there's anyone who's listening to this, who's struggling to figure out their role on the team or they don't have as big a role as they think they should have, or they wish they had, if you're on the team, any team, marriage, family, sports, business, if you're on the team, you have a role and your role is important. Otherwise, it's not worth the coach's time to have you on the team. So why don't we pivot into the Live Inspired Seven and as we get ready to go through the final seven questions. First, what would you say to the majority of my listeners and sometimes the one asking this question who are struggling right now in the midst of the storm, whether it's COVID-19, the divisions within the country, a feeling of life being totally unfair, the challenges in front of us or the challenges we faced or face currently. What do you say to those of us who just feel beat down by life right now? My condolences for anyone who's lost anyone due to COVID and my condolences, my, my sympathy for anyone who's dealing with significant challenges. And life is tough, but I think we're all tougher. It's a decision to focus on our response to, to what we're dealing with, to our challenges. Life's going to beat us down. I just encourage people to find things to be grateful for. There's a lot of things going wrong, but there's always, there's always a silver lining. There's always a positive to take away from it. And obstacles are meant to be overcome. And all an obstacle does, all, all our, our setbacks do, is create an opportunity for a comeback. What's the name of your business? The business is called Overcome It. The speaker, the author, the leader who is guiding the organization forward is Austin Hatch. Austin, we move now into the Live Inspired Seven. It's seven questions that tie all of our guests together. And I can think of 
honestly, I can think of no guest more inspirational and uh, more able to overcome it and teach us how to overcome it than you. So the first one for a Michigan grad, it's a little bit of a layup. What's the best book or the most influential book you've ever read? I really like the, the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Specifically, one chapter of that book, I loved the 10,000 hour rule. My, my dad and I read that together when, when I was like a, an eighth grader, freshman in high school, because he made me read for an hour a day in the summer when I wasn't in school. But yeah, so the 10,000 hour rule, you know, the, the, the Beatles, Bill Joy, who, who like basically invented the internet and other people, one thing they all have in common, they all put in at least 10,000 hours into their craft to achieve their, their mastery, their mm -hmm. level, right? So it's like, if, we're, if, if we want to be great at something, we got to put the time in. There's no substitute for it. Beautiful answer. Austin, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Wow. I think when I was little, I don't want to say I loved life more, but I, I was just generally happier. Not that I'm unhappy now. I wish I was always just infectiously optimistic. Man, that little kid would freak me out. Because if, if you're not as optimistic as that little kid, I cannot imagine what that little kid was like back 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. No, Quite was, a force. No, absolutely. A force, a force for good, right? Amen, man. We need more of it. So uh, hey, if your home caught fire and all living things, your wife, Abby, everybody's out, pets are out, you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, one item safely. What's that one thing that you would come running back outside with? Probably a picture of my family. Now, look, I could, I could make another copy of it. You know, nowadays, it all, everything's digital nowadays. And in fact, my wife and I just digitalized like a couple thousand photos of our family. So we have them forever, right? Yeah. Which, which family picture would you grab? I mean, is it zero to seven and a half, zero to eight? Is it 11 when your second mother steps in with your, your sisters? Well, I, would say, I would say both. Both. Just grab both. left hand's got the one family, the other one's got both, and together it's it's our family. Yeah, yeah. If if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? My dad. My what dad. would you want to tell your dad? I would just ask my dad for advice. Dad, if you were me, what what could I do different to be a better man, a better husband, a better father? Some well, someday a better father, be a better husband, be a better, a better man. Because, you know, my dad gave one of the greatest definitions of, of success I'd ever heard. He said, Austin, I believe the reason I'm, I'm successful is because I'm loved by my family and friends. I'm admired by my peers and because I consistently use my God-given talents constructively to improve civilization. Oof. What more can you ask for? Maybe I'd ask him, Dad, dad how, can, how, can I, how can I be more like you in that way? How can I become more of a success by your definition? Beautiful answer. And, and it, I think it answers the next question. The next question is, what's the best advice you've ever received? And to me, in translating what you're saying about your dad into the next question, it's ultimately do things that allow you to be loved by your family, admired by your peers, and utilize your God-given talents in a way that helps others around you to become better versions of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, Austin, you're a young man. Normally, when I ask this sixth question, it's individuals looking back 20, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 65 years. But the question is, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? So I'll, I'll ask it to you anyway. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self looking way back almost a half decade ago? I'm going to be 26 in a few days. That's a, that's a half a lifetime ago or 20% or, or, or of a lifetime ago, I guess. Yes, but it is. Just keep getting after it. 
there's something to be said about just showing up and doing the work. Austin, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Austin Hatch, how would you like your one sentence to read? Austin Hatch is someone who used his experiences and God-given abilities constructively to make the world a better place. And maybe this, there's a, a semicolon, because I think these are technically two independent clauses. Maybe these are two dependent clauses, so I think they could be linked by a semicolon, not that my mission is <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader, and I know I'm not smarter than a Michigan grad. So just continue on with your, yeah, your run on yeah, sentence. Yeah, but um, Austin Hatch is someone who left every place and every person a little better than he found it. Austin Hatch, you certainly have left John O'Leary and our listeners today a little bit better than we found ourselves before we tuned into you, into your tragedies, into your two horrifically trying tragic days, and into the beautiful life that you have faithfully built afterwards. It's, it's an unbelievable story. You've married an, an amazing woman, and I just appreciate you living fully your life still. Well, thank you so much for having me and for your kind words. It's really an honor to be with you. And I wish you and your family all the very best. And um, yeah, let's, let's just keep getting after it. And, you know, we're, we're going to get through this whole, this whole pandemic and everything else that's going on. We're going to get through it. It's not if, it's when. My friends, that is Austin Hatch. You can learn more about him by checking out his business. It's called Overcome It. Or you can just cruise right over to our podcast, JohnO'LearyInspires.com, and then look up the podcast. We'll have more information on Austin for you to learn, look at and enjoy there. We'll also include the video of his wedding. Uh, if you're at all like me, bring your Kleenex because you're gonna need it. So my friends, uh, Austin is a wonderful, wonderful reminder that it's not about what we go through, it's about what we do with it. You can't always choose the path that you walk in life, but you can always choose the manner in which you walk forward with it. So uh, Austin, thank you for your time. And my friends, remember this, today is your day. Live inspired. word from our friends at Keeley Companies. What started in 1976 as a local paving company has grown into a national provider of construction, infrastructure, wireless, technology, development, and logistic solutions. Over four decades and 1,800 Keelians later, Keeley Companies' roots still guide them. In the words of their founder, Larry Keeley, quality and service never go out of style. 